Good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. Thank you for joining us for worship this Sunday morning, July 5th. We are grateful to have you with us on YouTube and Facebook. Today we get to start a new teaching series that I'm going to give you a little bit more uh, information about. I'm going to talk about in a little bit more detail at the end of today's message. Today's message is going to be the introduction to this new series. But before we jump into that and before we jump into our text, I want to ask that you would just join with me in a word of prayer wherever you are at home, wherever you might be watching our service from today. It might be Sunday morning at 1030 or maybe you're watching this later after it's been recorded and released. You're just trying to find some time to enter into a time of worship and a, a sense of sacred space. And so wherever you are, I want to encourage you, whatever's happening around you, I want to encourage you to enter into a space of worship as we pray these words together. We can worship anywhere, anytime by just bringing our hearts before God. That is part of the radical message of Christianity, that God cannot be contained, God cannot be controlled, that we are sitting before the presence of God wherever we might be. And so today, as we sit before the presence of God together, even though we're separated by distance, we are joined together as we focus our hearts and minds on Him. I ask that you just pray with me now as we enter into this space. God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to gather. We sit for a moment today and we turn our hearts to you. We turn our minds to you. We are grateful for how you have created us to be people who are able to connect with you, connect with a sense of your divine peace and your divine presence in our lives, wherever we might be today, as we open up the words of the prophet Amos, as we read from uh, Holy Scripture, we ask that you would connect with our hearts and that we would have a sense that we are being drawn closer to you with a better understanding of who you are and how you're at work in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today what I want to do is challenge you a little bit to think differently, perhaps, about some of the things that we do in church, some of the things that we tend to profess or proclaim or even celebrate in church, and suggest to you that one of the really important aspects of being a person of faith, a person who follows after Christ, is that we have to always guard against the good things in our lives from becoming idols in our lives. And that's true of virtually anything that we do. For example, today is July 4th Sunday, even though it's not actually the 4th of July. And you might have noticed that we're not one of those churches that spends a lot of time uh, doing patriotic things. We don't put flags up in our church. We don't celebrate holidays like the 4th of July conspicuously in our worship services. Of course, as people who are American citizens, we leave church and we barbecue hot dogs and hamburgers and we go to the park and we enjoy uh, days like the 4th of July and Veterans Day and, and Labor Day and all those other national holidays we have, but we don't tend to bring those national holidays into our worship service. And there's a very good reason for that. And one of the best ways I know to share that reason is to share a story with you. Several years back, I had just started as a pastor at a church and not long after I started as one of the staff pastors there, we had a worship service that was, again, a 4th of July Sunday. And so I was in charge. It was part of my job to sort of coordinate and orchestrate the worship service. And so I did, of course, I coordinated the service with the musicians and 
uh, with the pastor who spoke that day. It happened to be a different pastor. It wasn't me. Uh, and all of the prayer elements and the scripture reading and all, all the things that went into putting together our celebration that day. And it went well. It was very celebratory. It was very upbeat. It was, it was very meaningful. The gospel was proclaimed. And then after the service, I remember an interesting conversation I had uh, not long. Right after the service, I was talking with some folks, of course, you know, fellowshipping in the, in the lobby. And one woman came up to me who had been a part of the church for a long time. And she said, you know, I was really surprised today that we didn't do some of the things we normally do for a 4th of July worship service. And I said, oh, well, what's that? What are some of the things that you might normally do? And she said, well, you know, usually we would uh, put up the American flag, you know, in a really prominent place up on the stage. And I said, oh, really? That's, that's interesting. And, and she said, yeah. And then also what we would typically do is have some veterans or some servicemen, you know, one uh, service person from every branch of the military to come and fully in their dress uniform with, you know, uh, flags and banners. And typically they would line up and they would march down the center of the aisle in a procession carrying those flags and banners. And, you know, we might have Boy Scout troops like following behind them. And we might sing the Star Spangled Banner as a part of our worship service. And she went on and on and on. And it occurred to me that as she was talking, as she was describing this scene of a typical worship service on a patriotic uh, day like the 4th of July or Veterans Day, that she was in fact describing a worship service, but it wasn't a service in worship to God. It was a service in worship to the United States of America. And it occurred to me in that conversation, in that job as a pastor that day, that our church, the church that I was a part of, had a very serious idolatry problem. Now, I want to read to you a passage from Amos chapter 5 and ask that as we read through this passage in Amos, that you would keep that story in mind. How is it that a gathering of worship can become a worship gathering that is no longer in worship to God, but is in worship to something else? This passage comes from Amos chapter 5, and I want to read to you first from verse 21, we're going to read verses 21 through 27 together. If you have a Bible with you, wherever you are, of course, you're welcome to open your Bible and read along with me with whatever translation you have. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and put the words up on the screen for you so you can follow along as well. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 says this. This is God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Amos. And he says this, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, away. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Now, now this is one of those passages that every time I read it, I think to myself, boy, I would hate to be on the receiving end of these words. The people of Israel, the people of God, of course, they're doing exactly what God asked them to do. When they're gathering in these religious festivals, when they're having these feasts, 
during their high holy days when they're engaging in the sacrifices of Yom Kippur, uh, when they're engaged in all of this religious work, they are, of course, doing exactly what God asked them to do. And yet, here's God telling them, I hate these festivals, I hate these gatherings, I hate these feasts. Because, as it says right at the end of this chapter, in verse 26, God says, You have turned these things into an idol, just like the idol that you made for yourself in the desert. Now, I think in order for us to understand why God is saying this, why God is so frustrated and so upset with the people of Israel for turning their worship gatherings into an idol, we have to back up a little bit to an earlier passage in this same chapter. So again, if you have your Bible, you can turn back with me just a little bit to the earlier part of Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up earlier in the chapter in verse 7. So if you just read along with me or listen along as I read, starting in verse 7, earlier the prophet speaking for God says this, You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night. Now this is really powerful poetic imagery that the prophet is using here. But what he's saying, just to pause for a moment, what he's saying is that the people of God have taken something and turned it into something else. That's why he uses this imagery there in verse 8 of turning darkness into light. They have essentially flipped upside down what was good and turned it into something bad. So, of course, he's talking about their religious practices. It's supposed to be something good. It's supposed to be something righteous and holy. But they have somehow turned it into something evil and destructive. Now skip ahead just a few verses with me to verse 11, and God is going to say exactly what the problem here is. Verse 11, he says this, You trample on the poor, and you force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. And though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. And there we see earlier in this passage, earlier in Amos chapter 5, exactly what the problem is. The problem is that even though the people of God are making a show of worshiping God, even though they're going through all of the motions, doing all of the religious work, even though they might be feeling those practices inside, even though they might be jubilant, excited, sorrowful, all of the things that you expect to feel in a good worship service, even though they might, might be feeling that way, they're neglecting the most important thing of all, and that is they still trample on the poor. You see, for God, what's fundamentally critically important in our relationship to God is that in our worship to God, in our connection with God, it's not enough that we go through the motions. It's not enough that we do all the things that we're supposed to do. It's not enough that we get the words right or the traditions right or the processions right. It's not enough that our music is good or our preaching is good. And it's not even enough that we might feel it inside. It's not true worship, you see, unless that worship turns in to righteousness for those who are in need. And so because at this time, the people of God, in spite of their worship, they trampled on the poor. Because they did that, because they forgot the poor, 
because they neglected justice, God says, I hate your worship. I can't listen to it anymore. I despise it because it is hypocrisy. Now, one of the really fascinating things about this passage is that the prophet Amos, by speaking these words on behalf of God, connects true worship and care for the poor with something else really critical that, of course, I think we all should be concerned about. So look with me back again at verse 11. He says again, you trample on the poor and you force him to give you grain. Second half of verse 11, he says this, therefore, though you have built mansions, you will not live in them. And though you have planted vineyards, you will not drink their wine. And so God, through the prophet Amos, he connects three very important things in this passage that I think are really important for us to keep in mind. And what he connects is this. Number one, our right worship, our true, genuine, wholehearted worship that results in, number two, righteousness and justice for those who are in need. And righteousness and justice for those who are in need connects, number three, to our well-being and flourishing as a people and as a community. You see, what's happening in this passage is that God is judging the people of Israel for not acting justly, for not taking care of the poor. And he's saying to them, because you don't take care of those who are in need, not only do I not want to listen to your worship anymore, but I also declare that those beautiful houses that you have built, a time is coming when you won't have them anymore. And not only have you planted these wonderful vineyards, but you will not drink their wine. In other words, when we refuse to create communities of justice and peace and righteousness and goodness, it's just a matter of time before those communities fall apart. And this, of course, connects back to my story earlier about turning our worship gathering into an opportunity to worship the wrong thing. Because you see, it turns out that we can turn any good thing, even a worship service, into an idol. You know, the great reformer John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. And what he meant by that, of course, is that there's something about us as humans, there's something about our hearts that wants to take good things and turn them into our objects of worship. And so it turns out that anything can become an object of worship, and by being an object of worship, it becomes an idol. Our church gatherings can become objects of worship. Our pride and patriotism in our country can become an idol of worship. Even something like the Bible, Scripture, something that ought to be good and life-giving and true for us can become an object of, of worship and therefore an idol in our lives. And what we learn is that when we replace the Spirit of God, the wild, uncontrollable, untamable source of goodness and righteousness in our lives, when we replace God with an idol, then it's only a matter of time before we begin to fall astray. Jesus agreed. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we talked all about Matthew chapter 21 and that scene when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he enters into the temple and he overturns all the tables. 
And, and by doing that, he is echoing what's happening here in Amos chapter 5. He's essentially declaring to them that their gathering of worship, their very important religious service during the Passover, has become despicable in the sight of God because they use it as an occasion to take advantage of the poor. And he even says to them, It is said that my house will be a house of prayer for the nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. My friends, this is, I think... The challenge to us as a church today to ask ourselves on a regular basis, what good things have we taken in our lives and turned them into idols? The reason I'm sharing this message, of course, with you on the 4th of July or the Sunday of the 4th of July is because I think one of the problems that we see that has become very clear and very apparent in our society is that we have turned an awful lot of things in our life in the 21st century in the United States of America into idols that are creating situations and circumstances that are robbing us as a community of our well-being and our flourishing. And so, for example, it seems clear to me that we have fallen very easily uh, prey to worshiping wealth as an idol. And while we worship wealth in the United States as an idol, our streets are filling up with hungry and homeless people who don't have enough. Or maybe we are worshiping our freedom as citizens of the United States, and in worshiping our freedom, we have somehow forgotten that our black and brown brothers are brutalized and arrested and incarcerated in this country at rates that far surpass those of white Americans. And so while we worship freedom, there are others in this country today who do not have the freedom that we celebrate on a day like today. I want to share a, a tough quote with you. This is a quote from Frederick Douglass, who was a, a black American who was actually born a slave and went on to become one of the most important black scholars and leaders and thinkers of his time. And Frederick Douglass on July 5th, 1852, was invited to give a speech for the 4th of July weekend in Rochester, New York. And this is a quote from the speech he gave. This is Frederick Douglass, a black American who had been born a slave and asked to give this speech on 4th of July weekend. And here's what he said in his speech. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. My friends, these words were uttered back in 1865, but today I want to put forth to you for your consideration the fact that today in 2020, your black brothers and sisters in this country are saying the very same thing. That on this 4th of July Sunday, while we celebrate our freedom, for them, freedom is not something that they have yet to taste in the United States of America. And it's our job, I think, as Christians, especially in a church like ours that is predominantly white, to ask ourselves every time we gather, have our gatherings, have our celebrations become an idol to us? And therefore, have we lost sight of those in our community 
who are crying out for freedom, for justice, crying out for people to help them in their time of need. This, this month for the rest of July, I'm going to be uh, entering into a teaching series that I am calling American Gods. And the teaching series that we will be exploring will be around those things that have become idols in the American church. And because they have become idols in our churches, they have made us blind to the very real problems that exist in our communities. And maybe more importantly, they have robbed us of our own flourishing, our own well-being, because we have separated ourselves from the true worship of the Spirit of God who is always bringing freedom, always bringing liberation, always bringing justice. And if God won't find justice and freedom and liberation through us, through our church, then God will find it through somebody else. My friends, I want to be a part of what the Spirit of God is doing to bring that freedom and justice to our neighbors in need. This week, as you go forth and continue uh, with your lives, continue with your social distancing, continue uh, connecting to your friends on Zoom and Facebook and all the ways that we are trying to stay connected, I want to ask that you would spend time reflecting on how those things in your life that would otherwise be good maybe at times can become an idol that have caused you to be blind to the needs of others. It's not just a problem that you have, it's a problem that I have. It's a problem that our church has. It's a problem that our faith has. It's a very serious problem that our country has. And I think we have a role as believers to play in learning to follow after the Spirit of God to bring justice to these situations. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather. We pray uh, in Jesus' name that we would become people who are able to see how we have obstructed our worship, how we have disconnected ourselves from the source of life that empowers us to bring liberty and freedom, fulfillment and forgiveness, justice and mercy, all of the fruit of your spirit that keeps us from being connected to how you are bringing those good things to the neighbors, here in Oceanside, in North San Diego County, and beyond. We ask that you would make us a people who are able to connect with what you're doing and able to have the courage to stand for those who are in need. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.